Have you guys heard of Daraprim? Rings a bell, right? Yeah, it's the drug used to, ple- to treat toxoplasmosis. Ah, well, uh, for those of you who are less cultured than us, uh, cultured, educated, whatever you want to say, that might not immediately explain why you know it. But what if I told you that this was the drug that Martin Shkreli, a.k.a. the Pharma Bro, put up in price by 50x from 13.50 per pill to 7.50 per pill? Uh, you may remember this whole big fiasco, the mm. guy who, I, I don't know why, I feel like some people thought it was an insulin medicine. I think there was also an insulin medicine they also increased the price of, and the two kind of got conflated. Um, but the move made him one of the most hated men in America. Do you recognize it now? Indeed. And in this episode, we're going to look at this and the question of how much medicine should cost. Mm. But guys, welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Jake. I'm Ann. And this is an Everyday Philosophy Podcast. We're well on our way into season three by now, and we hope you're enjoying it so far. I um, want to do a quick shout out to our sponsor, Stasha. That's us. Yes. Uh, if you ever need to store your bags while you travel around the world, we cover over, well, nearly 750 towns and cities all over the place, you know, North America, South America, Europe, mm-hmm. Africa, bits of Asia, Australasia, everywhere. The only yeah. place you can't store your bag is Antarctica. So if you're a penguin and you're listening, I'm really sorry. We're coming for you though. Don't worry. We'll, we'll sort it out <laughs> one day. Also, little listener notes. Uh, one, we're going to make a WhatsApp group chat so we can all chit chat with each other. You'll be welcome and invited. Um, and your feedback on future episodes and polling on future episodes will go on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one bit. Two, please, if you do enjoy the show, leave a review, especially a written review on Apple. We know that a lot of you are on Apple. I can see it in the stats. Um, <laughs> it really, really doesn't take you much effort, but it has a huge impact and helps us rank high in the chart, which helps other people find us. Yep. We'd be really grateful for that. And now on with today's show, um, following the format of last time, last time I prepared an episode and you know it was leading it and Ant was asking questions. And this time, this is the episode that, uh, that Ant prepared. So Ant, why are we talking about Martin Shkreli and why are we talking about medicine? What's going on here? Okay, so um, I actually, he kind of disappeared for a while because he was in prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like I said, this guy was quite famous a few years ago because of this whole fiasco. Um, and then recently he was on a podcast. This is My First Million, right? It's called My First Million. I've never really listened to the show apart yep. from this episode because I knew we were talking about Shkreli. Oh, did you, you listen to it? In the I listened to it last night and um, it was, it was, it was really good. And I, I mean, super interesting, right? More, more than sort of, I, I didn't really have that much of an impression of the, the host, but Shkreli himself, I was like, this guy is really interesting. And, and mm. you sort of, you obviously approach him wanting to hate him. Um, and I, I definitely think there's, there's things that you can easily criticize him for. And I think things he gets wrong, but he, you certainly come away with this impression like, this guy's super smart and super interesting. <laughs> and, and you definitely want to go for a beer with him. If yeah. Else. I do think he's probably a bit biased. You probably, if you read around a bit around him, you'd probably agree with him less. Mm. I do think his, his knack for rhetoric, not being right, rhetoric, arguing yeah. convincingly is, is strong. I do find like one thing that I really relate with is like, he sounds like a very natural contrarian. Mm. It sounds like a lot of the times when he is making terrible PR decisions, it's because he's like, I don't care. Like, yeah, they, they shouted yeah. out about that, actually, because they were like, you know, there's often a case where people, you know what the right thing to do is, even if you don't agree with it, but you, you kind of, you take that route because it's a sensible one. Whereas he almost sort of, well, he voluntarily is like, no, I think this thing, this is my opinion and I'm going to stick by it. And Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's not the best way to actually get people to understand or come around to your opinion. But he's like, I don't care if you don't get, if you don't know it, if you don't understand that intuitively, you're an idiot and I don't care about you. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in some way, it, it is interesting in some ways coming towards the end of the episode, uh, he has this thing where he's like, you know, I don't really have any regrets in my life. I, mean, I don't even regret going to prison. It's all experiences that were like interesting yep. and have made for an interesting life. Oh, by the way, it should, it should be clarified. He didn't go to prison for this. He didn't. This he was all to, perfectly legal. It's yeah. just other, and, and he went for, he went to prison for classic and a hedge fundy. Like a lot of it is kind of borderline gray area. Like, oh, is that insider trading? Like, mm. you know, 
Um, it was, he, yeah, securities fraud, I think, is officially yeah, it, right? Exactly. And he, did, he, did he take, was his opinion that like he was kind of, kind of stitched up a little bit? Yeah, but I mean, how much can you trust that? Yeah. Yeah. As um, you say. Well, let's, let's give a kind of formal introduction. Like we said, yes. he's a former hedge fund manager and pharma slash finance hotshot, uh, gained notoriety for uh, raising the price of this drug. Uh, from 13.50 per pill to 750 per pill. That's a 50x increase. Mm-hmm. Um, he defended the price increase, saying it was necessary to recoup the costs of developing new drugs. Critics argue the price was the increase was excessive, made the drug unaffordable for people who needed it. But we'll kind of come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it treated pox, tox, toxoplasmosis, which is a parasitic infection that can be life-threatening for people with weakened immune systems, so cancer patients, AIDS patients, people like that. Yeah, I had a brief look at it. There was a stat that said possibly up to 40 million people in America have it but often it's mild but there are cases where it can be pretty serious and and therefore the drug is uh yeah, yeah. drug is meaningful to those yes people. the interesting thing is he's um i said he's a hedge fundy type hedge fund guy um basically he was kind of in this weird intersection where they would set up basically financial entities buy rights to drugs mm. um and you know in this case star is one of them handle the pricing for it but i don't think they actually were really involved in the manufacture of things it was really more like intellectual property that they were interested in. That's my impression too, because he had a bit where he was talking about the government database on like exactly, sort of medical exactly, research. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, as you were saying, like hustle porn, he, he had this quote around, he was like, you know, it's there for anyone if they're prepared to work hard enough and read through all this boring literature. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> you can find drugs, you can see how they work, you can infer like other things that could be used for. Because the thing is like a lot of this stuff, I, I hadn't thought about it this way, is like, you know, we will often, when we find drugs, it's like, oh, we found that X acts on Y biological function, which has Z outcome. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't actually necessarily clearly mean we should use it for this disease, right? So, I mean, part of the way that they um, made money was they'd identified some thing. I think it might have been this one was like, oh, people were using it for kidneys and it was like, actually it should be used for this condition with livers. Anyway, it reminds me of the funny story, a bit of a tangent, but um, Viagra was yep. invented, well, it was discovered because they were looking for something to treat heart disease. And they're like, well, this is a very interesting unintended effect. No, 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 exa- exactly. Because that's the thing. Like, people don't, people, that, that happens a lot in medicine. Mm. Uh, another one, um, for anyone who has ever tried cocaine in their life, you know that extremely numb feeling it gives you, uh, I hear, uh, <laughs> on, you know, if you either snort it, put it in your mouth, whatever, you get very numb feeling in the immediate area. Like, like going to the dentist. Well, it was actually originally used by ophthalmologists. So mm. it was to, to, to numb the eye. Wow. Right, so they would put cook- so you'd be there like jittering, like, <laughs> and they'd be like, cutting you open like, stay still, yeah, <laughs> stop um, talking. <laughs> but um, no, no. In any case, Shkreli kind of uh, re- replies to the issues around the price increase with like pretty hardline but standard um, capitalist responses, and it mm. kind of made me think a little. It first of all reminded me of a famous thought experiment, um, or uh, experiment in general around morality, and then the other thing it reminded me of was. Um, uh, basically the question of how much medicine should cost in general, right? Like, why is this a spe- Because a lot of what he was saying, like, I kind of got, and it was stuff that we apply to our business. But mm-hmm. then I was like, when people don't store bags, they don't die. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So Let's, should we round off his, uh, his bio and then, yeah. and, then, and then come to the pricing? I thought the pricing was really interesting. So these two bits, he, he defended the price increase, uh, saying it was necessary to recoup the cost of developing new drugs. We'll come back to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he claimed on that recent podcast that, that he was on, which is why we're discussing it. Also, there's probably an interesting question around platforming. Like, mm-hmm. should he have been given a platform? Anyway, um, he claimed on that podcast that 0% of people who needed the drug were no longer getting it. Mm. Um, however, critics argued the price increase was excessive and, and did make it unaffordable to people. Um, so he'd done this through a corporate entity called Turing Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. In 2017, Turing Pharmaceuticals was acquired by a larger pharmaceutical company. Uh, they lowered the price 
but it was still significantly higher than the 1350 originally was. Mm-hmm. So it might be that they actually weirdly got a positive PR windfall for effectively still having an overpriced drug. Yep. Um, and like we said, he later went to jail for security fraud and at the moment is working on some AI chat GPT doctor product, which to be fair actually sounds uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's called Dr. Gupta. Yeah, yeah. GPT. Yeah, I, I tried I to load it. Very it smart. Yeah, I yeah. tried to load it. It isn't actually working for me, but yeah, yeah. It, it sounds interesting. And there was a the, there was the an irony of, there of like he was like I could save the medical industry billions of dollars if this uh, if this mm. works. And I was like, it's <laughs> yeah. almost a redemption storyline in there. Maybe. But if I recall, he's um he's banned from the pharma industry, but also he's banned from ever being on a public company. Um, Could well be. Board of, Could so well be. If this gets really successful, he's. Um, so I think one of the, some of the arguments he made, I mentioned earlier, recouping the costs of, of developing drugs. Um, he did, he fairly made the point that developing drugs is extremely cost intensive and mm. often as is the case with this drug, the user base is actually quite small, quite niche. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore we need incentives for innovation within the space. So it makes sense that the, the treatment is very, very expensive. Um, additionally, while the brunt of cost is covered by insurers, um, oh, sorry, Additionally, like to con- worth considering, like you said, he claims that it didn't really impact people because the costs are covered by insurers, and this is a tiny, tiny, tiny part of their overall costs. So they don't they don't do anything about it. He did, yeah, yeah. That's specific to the USA. In Europe, we actually have quite different systems that don't interact as heavily with uh, private health insurance. Yeah, I mean, one of the th- two things that made me think. One was, um, yes, that actually makes some degree of sense. If it's covered by insurance, it's not a meaningful cost to them. In theory, they don't even really notice. The price just goes up and it, it, it covers some of the costs of the drug. But what about one people who don't have insurance? There surely must be some number of people. There must be a non-zero it. number of people who are buying yeah. this thing out of pocket. He right? claims zero percent, but I just I find that hard to believe. Two, outside the US, what about Europe? Uh, and what about other countries where suddenly the drug becomes mm. less affordable to buy? I don't know much about its production, though. So Neither. And I mean, there must have been developing countries as well, which would stop stocking it or something. That, the thing is, I don't know enough about the specifics. He claims zero. I don't believe it. The point is, it's almost inevitable that some number of people couldn't access this drug. Yeah, I feel like it surely wouldn't have created such a media furore if... Furore. No, furore? Furore? Furore. I don't know. I don't know. Furore Rocher. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have created such a, a storm if nobody was affected. Yes, exactly. Well, well, I don't know. Maybe it could have. The thing is, sometimes PR is just headlines, right? Yeah. Um, but I think when he was talking in the podcast, he said one thing that really made me think of our business, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't a quote. He said something to the effect of, I'm providing a service. I'm free to price it how I want. Like that's how capitalist systems work. Mm -hmm. And if people don't like the cost of my product, they can just pursue the alternative treatments that are available, right? He was very impassioned on this point because I remember him saying, he was like, people treat healthcare products like they have an inviolable right to have them. But he was like, no, what about my inviolable right to price my products how I want? Like I'm running a business. You wouldn't tell Coca-Cola how much to price their drinks. Yeah, Why you would you tell me? Exactly. If Coca-Cola doubles the price of your drink, it's not moral outrage. You just stop buying the Coca-Cola, right? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this is different um, because medicine, it, it has the knock-on impact of people dying. Mm. But, you know, maybe that's a question of how we structure our medical industry more widely. Uh, hence the question, how should medicine, you know, how much should medicine cost? How should it be priced? Because medicine, as a private industry, is subject to the same incentives as all other industries. Mm. Um, and so whilst it's ridiculously callous of him to kind of say it in these terms, because we're talking about people's lives, maybe, you know, as we were talking about in the COVID episodes a long time ago, being squeamish about like the cost of life uh, kind of stops us actually forming good midterm to long-term policy whereby like, hey, actually, it, I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but this would be the capitalist point of view or like his point of view, certainly. Mm-hmm. Like whilst this is expensive and maybe prices some people out of it, the ability to make this kind of profit 
incentivizes more people to do more medical research, including for more niche um, services, uh, not services, um, diseases, right? Mm -hmm. So actually in the midterm, maybe this is helpful for saving lives. I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm not sure if you will either, but um, in terms of the massive markup he made, Mm. Does all that go to him and his company? How much of that actually does go towards future research? That w- I wasn't. Oh no, no, no. The, the the point isn't that it directly goes to future research, unless mm. it's a pharmaceutical company who recycles the profits from the things they do sell to do literal research. Mm-hmm. The point is more it's just an incentive mechanism, right? Yeah. Whereby, like, you know, the pricing mechanism and profit motive, like, naturally works. Whereby, like, you know, if um. If there are not enough people selling meat in a town, mm-hmm. um, they can increase the price, and that naturally incentivizes yeah that naturally incentivizes more people to become butchers to equilibrate the price. So like the price the price perfectly equilibrates mm-hmm. like the the supply and demand of the thing is the economic theory, right? It is. Yeah. The problem is obviously there are sticky points to that. Um, you know, research is also not a guaranteed thing. But his point is just like me making lots of profit on this thing is a signal to other people that it is worth doing the effort of R&D mm-hmm. to find solutions to diseases. He's very rational about that. And and I mean, you can sort of sum up all his... Sociopathically, dispassionately rational. This is it. He, he's basically homo economicus, right? He's, yeah. he's the guy who's like looking at it this way. But I think, I think there's an irony then to the fact that he misses a kind of key irrationality of people and, and and that's the cognitive bias around anchoring because mm-hmm. I think one of the things where he, he really messes up here is is not that the drug kind of came out and it's priced expensively and, and he, he makes an analogy or he, he makes a link to the um, life-saving cystic fibrosis drug and I'm not sure what mm-hmm. it's called but obviously it's very expensive because it was it was massively expensive to yep. uh, research and produce but it's it's out there on the market it saves lots of lives and it costs um, something similar it's expensive, and uh, but he, and he's saying, you know, these guys get unnecessary hate for producing an expensive drug. But it's it's different to his, and the key difference is anchoring, right? right. Because it wasn't previously thirteen fifty. His drug comes out; it's thirteen fifty, and then sorry, and then when he when he marks it up, it goes from thirteen fifty to seven fifty and seven hundred and fifty, and so people have this baseline anchor of like it was cheap, now it's really expensive, and this guy mm. obviously looks like a dick for mm. being mm. the sole cause. Of so that you're saying if, you're increase. saying if they just not if they'd come out and it was expensive to begin with. This is where I think he's messed up because I think if that had been the case, people might be like, ah, oh, like I wish it was cheaper, but you the whole of- The whole thing speaks to his inability to do PR. Because even mm. even if it was like, look, like this drug is not tenable for us to continue making, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, and there was an explanation as opposed to just, yeah, let's see how much we can price it. Because a lot of the, the approach kind of reminds me of us and our service, right? Mm-hmm. Because like we do luggage storage and we do pricing uh, testing because we find that the demand is relatively inelastic. Um, and I do sometimes find like, it's funny when I see reviews where people like, you know, use the service five out of five, a little expensive or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, clearly it wasn't too expensive to, to solve your problem though, right? So mm-hmm. clearly it added more value than it took away. Yeah. Um, so like, it's kind of like when someone says that, it's kind of a funny one, right? It's kind of like, well, you're being emotive. Like clearly it was worth because <laughs> you paid it. You've, you've made a kind of calculation of value and decided that parting with that money is yeah. more valuable to your life because yeah. of the experience it buys of, you know freedom from your luggage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's more valuable that than to carry your luggage around all day. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's clearly a price point that's valuable to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get you. People, people do get mm-hmm. emotive about prices. But mm-hmm. I guess one of the things that he's saying is like medicine is unique and it occupies a different brain space to yep. you know, products and services and even food. I mean, maybe not now food. Now people are getting emotive about food because inflation's so high. Yep. But he, he does say, you know, medicine's different. And he's like, it's unfair that medicine's different. Medicine's just a product like anything else. And, and this is where we can, you can also attack him, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, 
another thing that he really reminds me of is this. He strikes me as kind of like the finance guy. Well, he is literally he's literally this. Mm-hmm. But you know the kind of we talked before about inheritance tax or tax evadance, tax avoidance, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, uh, evasion avoidance. The kind of classic like I'm following the rules, so what's wrong? Mm-hmm. And no kind of conception of like maybe the rules are imperfect. Maybe it's impossible to police perfect rules. And so maybe my governing principles should actually be internal mm. and should be more about compassion with other people and doing good, as I conceive it, as opposed to following the rules. He's very much like, I am following the rules of capitalism, so I've done nothing wrong, so why are people angry at me? Yeah. Right? It's, it's Which very is the letter of the law rather than spirit of the law. Exactly. Yeah, it's very letter it, of the rule, spirit of the law. And it's very kind of 2008 uh, banking kind of like, bonuses incentivize people, we make money, what's wrong? We're following the rules, right? And this yeah. kind of like lack of understanding of, of the kind of higher order rules and this is all very relevant to what we'll go on to and we'll be talking about the Heinz experiment and social mm. development. Um, another thing that this kind of reminds me of, again, capitalism uh, versus other methods, it kind of makes me think of the limitations of capitalism, right? I because definitely agree with this. This, yeah. this is a really good example where you look at American healthcare and you look at other, uh, not, just, not just medicine research, but healthcare in general. And it's like, okay, if the only way that we can properly incentivize proper R&D into diseases is the profit incentive, right? Mm. Maybe this is an example of a thing that shouldn't be for left to the free market then. And this is, I mean, people treat the free market like it's the only solution, but this is why we have public goods. This yeah. is why governments exist to provide services like street lighting, because mm-hmm. how can you charge people for that? That's not a perfect analogy for different yeah, reasons yeah. and properties, but I, yep. there are other mechanisms available. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, let's put it like this, right? Um, the government can properly think about um, solving problems that are in the mid, uh, like, in the majority of people's midterm interest, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just focus on the profit incentive, as an example, you know, you'll have a ton of R&D going into life extension for billionaires, right? (laughs) Which is actually happening in Silicon Valley. Exactly. It's like, this is the kind of stuff that like services a very small number of people who have high spending power. And that actually doesn't maximize the benefit for society in the mid Mm. long term. So it's actually a good example of like, you know, the socialist in me maybe argues like, hey, this guy, this whole problem around all of this maybe this is a really good argument that like more medical research and development Mm. uh, should be centralized internalized to to governmental uh levels um and and certainly into like you know given more to academia and they should be deciding how much to fund certain things on the basis of how much it can help people not how much money it can make um and also then we kind of avoid it's funny because the profit incentive is a good way of pushing people in the right direction to not be wasteful, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of the idea of like private efficiency. Markets, uh, efficiency. Yeah. Like I said here, sometimes it's ir- ironic because if you're maximizing profits, that sometimes means you, that can be to the detriment of services. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also means if there's profit, there is waste in the system. And the waste is the profit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, that's, it's actually funny, like, like, like you said just before, we, we get too stuck in this idea of like free markets are always the solution, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least that's the current paradigm or the paradigm in the last 10, 20 years. And I think free markets are often a great solution. Free markets for, for something like us, luggage storage, is a great solution, right? Yeah, it's exactly what you need. It's generated efficiency by combining uh, existing space with people who yep. need it and, and yeah, yeah. you know, and, makes and, everyone better off. And, and like we say, his, his argument, like if people don't like it, just don't use our service, that actually is welcome in, in our service, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if you don't think our service is worth X because there's another, you know, it doesn't give you a net surplus in value, uh, then don't book it. That's fine, mm-hmm. right? But that's just, it's fundamentally different when lives are at stake, mm-hmm. I think is the point that we're getting to. And most people have that normal moral intuition, even if they're following the rules. And he seems to, again, this is going to relate to what we're about to talk to. He seems to be like stuck one level lower where he's not kind of synthesizing mm-hmm. like 
the fact that these rules are not perfect and you probably there's probably no world working perfectly you could play a different game so tell us about the heinz experiment we'll quickly do an ad break then we'll come to the heinz experiment um and we'll kind of relate this to a very famous philosophical moral thought experiment and developmental uh, psychology principle we always make this joke when we talk about ads but now it's time for us to appease our capitalist (laughs) our our profit incentives When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back uh, a tiny bit more profitable than before. <laughs> we're actually, we don't make any profits on this. We're, we're really yeah, we do hoping to cover lose. the costs. We net yeah. lose on this, don't worry but, about that. But we have fun and hopefully you do too. Oh, this is this is something I do because I, I like it. So tell us about Heinz. Heinz experiment. It's nothing to do with Heinz beans, right? This is uh, no, 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 a no, man no. called Heinz. So this is really interesting. It's a medical thought experiment that is actually used to assess the moral and psychological development of children. And as I was kind of alluding to previously, <laughs> maybe Shkreli on some level is failing this experiment, right? <laughs> what, a, what a diss. <laughs> yeah. So let's run through it, okay? The Heinz Dilemma is a thought experiment in ethics and psychology involving a husband who steals a drug to save his wife's life. Maybe it's Daraprim. <laughs> <laughs> the dilemma was first introduced by Lawrence Kohlberg in 1963 as a test of moral development. So the interesting thing is he would tell this, this specific problem to children mm-hmm. uh, of varying ages hear their response, and it would help to synthesize how we create moral frameworks as we grow up. And, and you, you'll hear this as we go. Okay, so can I read the scenario? Yes, read the scenario, please. A woman is dying of a rare disease. There is a drug that can save her, but it is very expensive. The, Dar- drug, is to, <laughs> the drug is to invented the drug, or marked it up, Shkreli, <laughs> charges a high price because he wants to make a profit. The woman's husband, Heinz, cannot afford to pay the price. He goes to the druggist and begs him to sell the drug for less, but the druggist refuses. Heinz then breaks into the druggist's store and steals the drug. The question is, was Heinz right to steal the drug? Now, there's no easy answer to this question. It's kind of the point. Uh, some people believe that Heinz was right to steal the drug because he was acting out of love for his wife. Others believe that Heinz was wrong to steal the drug because he broke the law, right? The Heinz dilemma is a classic example, example of a typical moral dilemma, right? Mm-hmm. The point is you have uh, competing uh, moral rules or whatever. Um, Rules or whatever. It's not like this is a moral <laughs> philosophy podcast. Anyway, <laughs> whatever, man. <laughs> it, it's it's a situation in which there is no clear right or wrong answer. It, it's really about your personal belief system, mm-hmm. and the more important thing is that you can justify coherently with your belief system whichever choice it is that you think is right. Uh, and the dilemma forces us to think about our own values and beliefs uh, to make decisions that we can live with. Can right? I give you my my hot take? I have read the script, but yep. I I would say just off the bat, when I read this the first time, I was like, I think it's the right move, and I think it's because he's operating according to a principle of mm-hmm. compassion, which ultimately has higher value to me than yes. sort of notions of property rights. One, I agree with that. And then two, I think part of what's interesting about the way this is phrased is that it actually is, and, and this is how it relates and reminded me of Martin Shkreli. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's perfectly linked. It relates to the way that when you hear that story, you feel conflicted on Heinz, but I think most people agree that you feel like the druggist is a bad person. They're technically not breaking the rules, but you feel like the druggist is a bad person in this little anecdote. Yeah, you feel like he really lacks compassion. He's exactly. just like, he's like, no man, this is, yeah. this is the price. The problem is, 
And then as an adult, you kind of think higher level. And it's like, well, how's he supposed to run a business if everyone comes in begging for medicine? Right? It's very difficult. It's the sort of difference between like the individual and the general. It's it, yeah. it's not the same, but it's like the whole a death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a, is a statistic in that yeah. like, you know, when you're faced with one person who's in need, it's really hard, hard to be to sort of cold and, and callous like that. But I guess if you abstract from that to the general principle of like, well, how does this make sense in the long term? Then, mm-hmm. then you start to have a tiny bit more sympathy for, for the druggist. Yep. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah on, on the whole, I'd agree. Yep. He, he comes across badly when you do think about him. So I, I mentioned that this was a tool for assessing moral and psychological development of children. So let's, let's talk through the kind of categories of development. See how developed I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. So there's actually also, I believe there's a lot of video footage. You can watch children kind of struggling with and answering this question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been used in lots of studies. Uh, and he found that children typically progress through three stages of moral development. Mm. Um, the first one is pre-conventional morality. Okay. Um, in this stage, uh, and, and this will probably sound logical, children in a very selfish way, focus on the consequences of their actions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they believe that actions are right or wrong based pretty much solely on whether they are punished or rewarded. Yeah, it's very carrot and stick. It's yeah. very much Which, like... But it's, it's interesting because when I think about good parenting, it's kind of hard for me because I'm not a, a child psychologist expert. Or a parent. <laughs> or a parent. To think about which way around this is. But that's familiar in that like, oh yeah, like, you know, you tell a child, don't do this or else you'll be punished, right? Mm-hmm. What, whereas, like, obviously what you really want is them to understand that, like, in time you want to don't do this because it's the wrong thing to do. You want them to, to, want to, you want to instill the feeling naturally in them, like, oh, I shouldn't do this. But I think correctly, that's the first stage where they're just focused on, like, are mom and dad going to be angry at me? Yeah, I suppose right. it's before you develop the theory of mind that kind of allows you to relate and empathize with other people, right? And, and certainly, I think until you have that appreciation, you are just kind of thinking, how does this affect yeah, me? And then there's the level beyond that, where it's the theory of, of self within the context of a society, mm. and it's the theory of us. Um, but so pre-conventional, you're just thinking about the punishments and rewards to you personally, conventional morality. In this stage, children focus on the expectations of others, right? Mm-hmm. They believe that actions are right or wrong based on whether they follow the rules or not, right? How does that differ from pre-conventional? What's, what's the sort of level there? So it, it might be, for example, like I don't have a rich understanding and you can see how one is built on the other. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a rich understanding, but mum and dad told me not to steal. So... Um, you know, Heinz is wrong because he stole, right? Mm-hmm. The first, the, so in the first example, um, they might say, oh, um, Heinz is going to be told off by his parents. Um, mm. or, or they might say, or they might even think at the more basic level, like, what is the answer that my parents want me to give? <laughs> <laughs> the next one is like, oh, I'm aware of these rules mm-hmm. and this breaks one of those rules. So it must be wrong, right, right? Right, right? Which again, like, doesn't seem to have the nuance of understanding that there are some conflicting uh, things here. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the last one, post-conventional morality, which is where most adults are. And then I feel like there's also like a meta post-conventional morality, <laughs> uh, which is again like uh, the world is, in, uh, universal principles are imperfect. But anyway, post-conventional morality, in this stage, adults focus on universal principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they believe that actions are right or wrong based on whether they uphold universal principles, such as justice and fairness, Right. So you kind of, it's this understanding that like mm. rules are heuristics that generally achieve a thing, but actually part of the, the difficult, the reason that we don't just have utilitarianism as a defined form of morality and like, that's it, we're and done, that's, we're right. That's not the law, yeah. Yeah, is because they are just generally, they are heuristics to achieve some higher order principles like justice and fairness, which we don't all agree on. Mm-hmm. Like, what does justice look like? What does fairness look like? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of discussion between that, which is why this exact question, really, it, it kind of comes to, to, your perception of what is just, what is fair mm-hmm. as to who is in the right and who's in the wrong here, right? I see. Because if, and it also is a little bit about like what time frame you're thinking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if, you, if for you justice is maximizing, um, minimizing human suffering in the mid to long term, 
and you staunchly believe that the capitalist incentive is the best way to do that, and that actually the druggist is a hero for not wavering when actually compassion could could lead him to undermine that principle, which is good in the mid to long term. You're saying it would undermine the norm of capitalist behavior, create insecurity in the system, this yeah. crime that's, potentially that's, has that's, consequences. That's, yeah, that's, one, see, that's one way. It's an interpretation, yeah, yeah. Whereas another one could be like, justice is caring about the people immediately around you and being a compassionate person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes the rules should be ignored for that. You, you know, this is, these are mm. different conceptions of higher order principles and how they conflict, right? Yeah. And so when you think about it in that way, you can see that there's this development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so people who are in the pre-conventional stage might believe Heinz was wrong to steal the drug because he broke the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, it, people who are in the conventional stage might believe that Heinz was wrong to steal the drug because he didn't follow the rules, right? Mm-hmm. So is there a, a nuance there? There's a sounds, nuance there. It's like, quite similar. So Heinz was wrong to steal, the first one should be Heinz was wrong to steal a drug because he did something that is explicitly wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The second one is Heinz was wrong to steal a drug because it's a general rule not to steal, and he mm. broke the general rule. Mm-hmm. And then people in the post-conventional stage might believe that Heinz was right to steal the drug because he is upholding the principle of the sanctity of human life, mm. right? Mm. It uh, feels a little bit, uh, this is unfairly simplifying it, but it reminds me of one of my favorite expressions, which is about like the sort of spirit of the rules rather than the letter of the law. And, exactly. Uh, it does feel this a little is, bit like that. This is exactly up, right? it. Where like, it sounds like if we we're to put Shkreli somewhere here, mm-hmm. he sounds a little bit like he's in the middle and not the final one. Where like, mm. he is perfectly following the rules and he's saying, because I didn't break the rules, um, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then, you know, post-conventional morality, de- uh, development to the stage of post-conventional morality or moral understanding would suggest like, yes, but you need some deeper understanding of justice and fairness to understand that what you've done is unfair or unjust. It's certainly discompassionate. Yeah, it? yeah, it's certainly discompassionate. And like, at the very least, you should say, you should communicate to people, hey, look, I'm really sorry, this seems unfair, but it's really important to uh, upholding this principle, um, which is, you know, whatever I think will help us achieve the best outcome in the mid to long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a failure to at least communicate that is also a failing. Uh, and so, I mean, like, the one takeaway, like I said, this question very explicitly, and to me, like this is the first thing I'd, I, I would kind of want to focus on, this, the, the, the anecdote very explicitly doesn't focus on the druggist. Yeah, it, it doesn't Heinz, doesn't it? The question was literally, um, did, uh, you know, did Heinz, uh, was he right to steal the drug? Mm. And it sort of abstracts the druggist as like a, an obstacle. Uh, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Exactly. Your question is interesting. What, yeah, yeah. I know that's the point of the episode, Jake. <laughs> um, but that's it. The, the, the fact that druggist is a bad person, like that's, in some sense, I think why the public outcry against Shkreli seems to seems to mm. be so negative. Like it seems to suggest that like largely people agree with that thought. That, like the druggist is a bad person here. So this kind of frames the dilemma: mm-hmm. How should we determine the cost of medicine? Because for normal for normal um, for normal markets, we just leave supply that supply and demand, supply and demand, leave that to price and yep. mechanism of the market, right? Uh, but how do we balance the right to healthcare with the need for innovation, uh, and however we can motivate that efficiently with or without profit? Mm. It's, yeah, it's hard to give a, give a decent answer. And I mean, uh, people have a lot of opinions about the fact that a pharma has a profit motive at all, because mm. as we were discussing earlier, medicine seems to occupy a slightly different space. It's, it's emotional. Mm. Like as soon as people's lives become involved or, or, or entangled with the question, it doesn't become as transactional as like, yep. you know, you're just buying bread. You're, you're talking yep. about something that uh, people's lives are at stake. And I mean, I, I definitely have sympathy with any view that's like, you, you almost want the pharma industry to be able to operate outside the realms of capitalist incentives because it would be so nice when a, dr- a life-saving drug is made available yep. for it to be you well, know, I mean, freely if you, distributed. If, if you think about it, um, I would say we underpay doctors in the UK and mm-hmm. most countries, for example, and not the US actually, but most countries, mm-hmm. such that we effectively are like filtering for like, are these people motivated by the right things? 
And what you're saying, there is actually strong precedent for it. Mm-hmm. So famous example, Jonas Salk, uh, yeah. invented the polio vaccine, right? Refused to patent it because he wanted as many people as possible. So maybe this is one of those, I, the problem is maybe this isn't the most efficient outcome. Mm-hmm. Maybe this doesn't maximize it, but maybe medicine should be left to the realm of like people who want to do good, not for mm. more uh, capitalist incentives. Uh, the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, is that yep. another example, right? They, they gave that, they distributed that freely, if I rem- mm-hmm. remember correctly. Yes. Uh, or a certain amount. Well, a certain, a certain amount. Really. I mean, yeah. that might be PR, but yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, I suppose another moral question or implication of this, which I think kind of helps delineate, like we've said earlier, you know, how should, how should medicine be cost, uh, priced or uh, what should be the cost of medicine? I've kind of put forward that I think this is a good example of something where it should be uh, handled, you know, by government. It should be centralized mm-hmm. because the market isn't good at pricing this fairly. A nice heuristic is, uh, or, you know, a question might be, should people be allowed to profit from the misfortune of others? And I would say, generally, if you are profiting from the misfortune of others, that's a good, ex- a good indication that this is a market that we should centralize and handle as a government, not as individuals. Yeah, gut reaction to that would be no. Although it does make me think, um, how does it apply to vice products like gambling and stuff? Mm. Because ultimately you're providing an entertainment uh, or, mm. or something. But then, then there does enter a realm of like, addicts who yes. are obviously you know you are profiting from well, that I think that's, that's a good example where like in this case in that specific case yeah we have government regulation around it right? and right, in some we cases do. we actually ban it mm-hmm. in some countries how effective that is is a separate discussion but like here's another like, like thought experiment right um, you're on a boat right I'm on a boat man uh, <laughs> uh, you're in a boat right yep. uh, you have those rings on the ropes mm-hmm. right and you have there, you're four of them and there are six people drowning around the boat Wait, right? what kind of boat is it is it a yacht? A yacht. It's a yacht. Yes. <laughs> you have, you have four, four life-saving devices and six people. Okay. This is okay. like, people often make a joke about this where it's like, you know, someone is drowning uh, and they're like, throw me the thing. And the person says, how much are you willing to pay for it? Uh, and it's like, please, I'm drowning. Help me. And they're like, so 500? 1,000? And it's like, no, just throw me the thing. It's like, but this is, a, this is a nice thought experiment, right? Mm. Say you only had four of these life-saving devices, six people are drowning around the boat, mm-hmm. right? You know, Shkreli could basically say the current agreed way to deal with this is that you just shout to the people how much you're willing to pay. Yeah, right? get the highest bidder. <laughs> and then the four, the four richest people will probably pay, you know, to whatever amount of money they have mm-hmm. and they'll receive the things, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say, like I mentioned, this is a good example where actually there should be some centralized mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Where we, you know, either it's regulation, hey, we set a maximum amount and then, you know, if everyone's offering the maximum, we do a random draw. Or you have some other way of making that decision as a central authority. The people on the boat say like, okay, look, that's an 80-year-old man. They're going to die very soon anyway. This person is a known serial killer. Uh, <laughs> so we'll save the other four, right? Uh, I don't want to like an old people serial killers, but you get my <laughs> right? Uh, like, well, that's a pregnant exactly. woman. Exactly. I mean, granted, I then made some arbitrary dis- uh, decision as to how we decide that. But the point mm-hmm. is there's some central authority that makes that decision in some way other than profit incentive. What's that thought experiment usually used to illustrate? Is that a utilitarianism point like this Raleigh problem or is there? It's to highlight how when you uh, profit from other people's misfortune, mm-hmm. actually the market isn't fair, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you wait until the point where the person needs this to the point that they will die, they have no reservation price. Mm-hmm. And then the only measure is how rich are you, mm-hmm. right? And then the ultimate answer for this example of four and six would be the four richest people live. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a very satisfying answer. So I'm saying like much like the cost of medicine, this is a good example where it's like, oh, we should have a centralized deciding mecha- decision mechanism mm-hmm. that isn't based on price and maximizing, maximizing profit. However, technically, 
Shkreli followed the rules. And this is a really good example of like, he's kind of midway through moral development where like, mm. yes, okay, you follow the rules. But most people understand that rules are an imperfect attempt to reach higher order principles. Mm -hmm. And you have clearly failed to understand that, internalize that, and actually move towards those things. So ironically, yes, as a child, he, he um, you know, he could be seen as saying, or you could assume he'd say something like, Heinz is wrong because he broke the rules. And uh, the druggist is a hero. And I want to be like him when I grow up. The druggist up. is a hero. In fact, the druggist should charge more so there are more people like Heinz. <laughs> charge more, yeah. charge more. Um, okay, yes, so I, I think we, that kind of tied it all together quite well. It um, does. I don't know if we need to necessarily give a further summary. I feel like that kind of covered all of it. One last thought I had was, um, you know, uh, one alternative that suggests itself to um, letting the capitalist mechanisms run this um, could be through charity, but it would feel to me like that runs the risk of being less efficient. Yeah, also less efficient. That? Yeah. That's, I mean, it's one of those ones, I do agree with the principle that like, if it is the case that the capitalist principle is the best way to do it, we shouldn't be squeamish. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think a lot of our response to COVID was based around PR and squeamishness. And like, we need to be real about the fact that like, if we actually want to optimize medical outcomes in the mid to long term, mm -hmm. we should be real about it. And like, to some extent we are, like not all medical trials, you know, are, are funded or mm -hmm. worth funding. Even if they actually could like have some betterment, the solution might be too expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, it might not help enough people. And mm -hmm. there's a certain, only a certain amount of research we can do uh, and money that we can put into this, right? Mm. Um, however, I don't agree that um, private markets are the best way to do with this. And the fundamental problem I have is, like I said, when people are in dire situations, it, it's, it's an imbalance in the power in the market, which means that the pricing mechanism actually doesn't properly work. So mm -hmm. we talked about butchers or whatever earlier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, Wait, oh, when, when did we talk about butchers? Uh, we're saying as a pricing mechanism, like if yeah, it, yeah. it'll encourage more people to come butchers, right? Yeah, the meat in the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like Adam like, Smith would agree. Say it's people selling food, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, if the price of food goes up, that's good because that's a market signal to more people to become sellers of food, right? And then eventually the price goes yep. down because supply yeah. equilibrates. But what happens if there's a natural impediment to more food suppliers coming for two or three years and most people can't afford the food to the extent that they'll die. Mm. That's when you're like, okay, no, wait, that doesn't mean that rich people should get to stockpile it. We need to centralize authority and actually make sure everyone has enough, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's kind it's of, the same with wealth and society, Jake. It is indeed. And it's kind of where we are now, actually, with food. They're looking at how the government could intervene to yeah. sort of- well, I mean, there's food banks like, now, right? So basically yeah. poor people are relying on rich people to be like, eh, here's my scraps. Well, yeah, which isn't ideal. It doesn't yeah. sound like where we want to be in society. Also, funny anecdote. Mm. I often see things at um, uh, supermarkets, not funny, weird, supermarkets. Funny like, oh, in the sort of strange. curious sense. Yeah. Uh, like, it's like, oh, a collection for food bank, you know, leave any tin goods, any whatever. And then I'm kind of walking around and it's like, I want to get stuff for the food bank. But actually now I kind of have like the paradox of choice where it's like, what, what do I, what do I get? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> how, how do I decide what to put in there? Right? Like, mm. do I just buy more of the stuff I'm buying? Do I buy random things? Stuff like, that preserves well, I think is the, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the practical answer. But yeah. no, it's interesting. Cool. Okay, guys, I think that wraps it up. Um, how should medicine be priced? Collectively is my answer, not necessarily by markets. I think the pricing mechanism is a good example where it doesn't work. Talking about someone like Martin Shkreli, interesting guy. Um, technically, he didn't break the rules. But as we said, actually, ironically, he lived a thought experiment that is used to test uh, mm. moral development of children. And he seems to be somewhere in the middle. He doesn't seem to understand that like most of the point of this stuff is to, of rules is to achieve some higher order moral purpose or principle. Um, and that rules are inevitably imperfect and that they, and that actually some of these principles will clash with each other. So it's all very mixed and you need to approach this stuff with compassion. He kind of seems to miss this entire point. I would agree. I, I think having listened to him, he comes across incredibly smart, but then you're like, it feels like he 
<laughs> what he makes up for in smarts, he kind of lacks in one sort of common sense and compassion and two. Yep. I think there was a real stupidity to missing the anchoring effect of what he did and, and, and just mm. how bad the PR would be. Also, I just want to jump back. One thing that was a little fuzzy was like uh, the pre-conventional conventional morality, uh, kids being focusing on being punished or rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of understanding, by the way. In both those cases, the problem is that the person broke the law. In pre-conventional, the problem is like they broke the law and apparently that's something I get punished for. Mm-hmm. And the second one is an understanding of like these are rules and we need to follow rules. Mm-hmm. right? So one kind of has a rule in sanctity one has like a, oh, I've learned that this is something I get in trouble for. Okay. But then the difference between post and, and, and just regular conventional one is an understanding that the rules are a vehicle to a higher purpose, yeah. whereas appreciation so, of the rules in conventional morality is just, you know, yeah. the rules are. Yeah. So it's, it's like more, more morally or psychologically developed people understand that basically the difference between the spirit of the law and the law is writ, right? Yeah. So like someone with a, a deeper philosophical understanding, if there's a loophole in the law that told you to kill everyone or meant it was okay to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Someone who was more morally or psychologically developed would still understand that that's not permission <laughs> or, or that it's you know, not wrong just because it's not against the rules, right? Mm. The, 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 the thing I always say, the analogy I always say about you, uh, where's this going? <laughs> uh, the analogy I always say about you, because I say this as business advice, is work with people who are high integrity. Mm. Uh, and the analogy I always say is work with someone who, even if legally, they could, you know, cut you out of everything and not give you anything because, I don't know, you realize there was some error in your setup, right? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do that because, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, the law isn't perfect and we've made some mistake here, right? Like, even if, even if you were angry at me, mm-hmm. right, I know that you wouldn't, and, and legally could, I know that you wouldn't cut me out because mm-hmm. you're a decent person. And you I'm have still desperately looking for that loophole. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, okay. Shout out to my lawyers to please find it soon. Uh, despite Jake's post-conventional moral development, that seems to be the case. Uh, Guys, thank, thank you very Same much. You, that obviously. was an interesting episode. Um, we'll speak to you soon. We actually have, we should have said, we have a huge surprise for you guys this <gasps> season. Yeah, we do. But we're not going to tell you just yet what that is. Yeah, that's yeah, exciting. Get I just remembered that. That's, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. That, that will be coming up later in the season. Um, please leave reviews uh, if you enjoyed this. And, and please... Um, do join the WhatsApp group and, and, and give us feedback and, and start some debates with, that, debates with us there. God, I really can't talk today. Thank you very much. Leave reviews. Speak soon. Cheers.